Look at this bod. You think this happens overnight? <laughs> Can't help who I'm turning on at this point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Welcome to Tales from the Ditch, starring, I guess, sometimes, most of the time, Sean Allen Moss, Seth Wildshoot, and back on, we have Nando <laughs> Ramos, and wife, April. April. She, I thought you were just going to say, and wife, and well, that's the most condescending. <laughs> Great. Nando and April, back on the show. Uh, when was the last time we had them? How long ago was that? More than a year, I think. No. Summer. Yeah. Summer. June. Like June. At least three years. And yeah. if it sounds like we've given up, it's because we have. <laughs> and that's, um, we're promoting my new book. I was inspired by Rachel Hollis, my new book, Boy, Wash a Butthole. Mm. And I just want to encourage him, you know, say, you go, boy, wash that butthole. Keep it clean. Keep it clean. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know what we're doing at this point anymore. Our sponsors have left. <laughs> Franklin Graham doesn't talk to us anymore. Jerry Falwell so, says, get my name right. <laughs> Road Rules <laughs> has dropped their endorsement. <sighs> what about the Fahrenheit 9-11? <laughs> Michael um, Moore? Mike. Michael Moore. Big no, fan. Oh, no, wait. No, Fireproof. Oh. oh <laughs> same thing. Cameron. Yeah. Kirk Cameron. Kirk Cameron. Yeah. Michael Moore. Oh, indistinguishable. Okay. Michael lo- Moore, actually, uh, he's a Rotundian. Rotundian, that is his political party. <laughs> of the Girthian. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, um, how are you guys doing? Ditch. Wait, so we're not getting paid to be on here this time? <laughs> uh, we'll discuss this later. <laughs> Don't tell your other listeners and guests that you paid us last time. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> We paid you last time. So last time you were here, we talked about some serious stuff. I think that was our first serious podcast. And uh, it was one of the highest downloaded ones. I what? Think. Yeah. Hmm. Top 10. I try to bring up abortion like every episode. How yeah. is that? Nobody nobody wants to hear about it. Hmm. It's old, Seth. Hang <laughs> it up. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. Right, cool. I think it was because of the name. If you're going through a bunch of uh, titles of podcasts and you see Nando, you're like, Huh, I should try that one out. So why don't just have them on more? Because I want money. Exactly. Yeah, I don't need the other people. <laughs> wink, wink. All, All right. right. Well. Well, I'm done. Okay. <laughs> so, see you next week. Uh, so uh, how have you guys been in this half a year? How about this winter? Terrible, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think about Trump? <laughs> Love him. There you go. Went to D.C. Yeah. Actually, we saw his house. So we saw. Excuse me. We saw the White House. That's not just Trump's house. We will not. <laughs> no, it's his, it's his house. I'm it's pretty his sure house he for built right it. now. Yeah. Okay. Went to D.C. How hot was it? When did you go? You went in the winter, so mm-hmm. it wasn't that hot, huh? No. February. We actually had like one. 50. Yeah, and like we actually had one really awesome day. Well, it was like in the 60s that one day, right? Or late. Uh, like 50. Yeah, the high 50s, and we got to scoot around. That was pretty cool. That's fun. Lime scooters. You guys go to B-Town, too? Yeah. yeah dude. How dude. sad of a place is oh that? Oh, my gosh. Like, so many abandoned buildings for miles. Like, talk about. It's like Detroit. Yeah. It's crazy. It's like a and less active Detroit. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Much smaller. But then also you're like driving and sitting at a stoplight and someone's just at the bus stop doing the heroin lean, you know? Yeah. And you're just, it's sad. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think Baltimore is probably one of the saddest places. Detroit's maybe one of the most dangerous places, but Baltimore is so sad. Wasn't it on fire at one point? They were, like, lying it on fire. I think so, yeah, with all the riots and stuff. Something about people were mad. I remember it was They're, on fire. They got good crab cakes, though. Oh, well, They're, there you go. I mean, they got good. something. That's uplifting. Silver lining in the cloud. I mean, those <laughs> crab cakes injustice. were the best crab cakes I've ever and had. And they're in the most ghetto market ever. My best friend lives there. That's why we went and visited. Hi, Kayla, if you're listening. Hello. She listened to our last podcast. Oh, good. <laughs> yes. Hi, Kayla. Um, Did you subscribe? <laughs> <laughs> well, she also heard the one with Gavin, so I think she she did. But okay. um, Excellent. Anyway, so she is a social worker there, so she sees all of the really hard stuff, and all of her clients are much more difficult than pretty much any client you'd have in Reno, probably. Um, Some people would be offended by that comment if you're working with. I think that's true, though. But yeah, I mean, we're talking like. She's got clients that get stabbed on regular basis and are in gangs and all kinds of stuff. But she took us to this market to get crab cakes. And she said when she worked at the addiction clinic, um, most of her clients would get their drugs from there. Oh, yeah. So, um, and it was a little, it was pretty sketchy. She said it was apparently cleaned up at that point compared to what it had been. But it was like the oldest market in Baltimore and it had the best crab cakes. And of course, like there's like this little old lady running the place. And then everyone else that works there, you know, are a little bit lower on the socioeconomic scale. So it was just kind of like, you could tell it was, you could tell it was historic, but then also, you know, just kind of a sad place. Yeah. Too, the way that it's kind of been ran, too. So. Isn't it weird that, like, uh, something like the best crab cakes in the world can't remove you from, like, that? poverty status. You know what I mean? Crab cakes think? doesn't remove the reality of being in desperate I'm just poverty. Saying, I'm just saying, like, if you have the best crab cakes in the world, you should be capitalizing on that and making money. I always wonder that. Yeah, and giving your employees... Well, they were 15 bucks. They were $15 crab cakes. Oh, like, see? One That's thing. a meal. It wasn't cheap, but it was worth it. It's like, uh, you know, you see Peruvians usually, and they're like kind of in this no water area and they don't have any clean water and they're like so thirsty and dusty and they want some water but they all have like several hats sell some hats i've literally never met a peruvian so when you say you know how peruvians are always like no i'm saying in in movies (laughs) in what i don't know what film this is if you okay i'm just saying next time you see a movie now that i mentioned it You'll notice it, and you'll say, oh, these are Peruvians. Everybody has a hat. Because of the hats. Everybody has several hats. Watch it when it goes into their house. There's like 20 hats. It's like, sell all but one of your hats for water, if you're so thirsty, right? My dad and I got crabs once. We were in California. (laughs) (laughs) No, we were on vacation, and they let you, you know, get crabs, so we got crabs, took pictures of it. And they had them, and it was like this great memory of like, do you remember when we got crabs? I bring it up every birthday, and he tells me to stop. Ah, <laughs> oh, crab cook. Yeah. Well. They were, they were gross. You ever gotten crabs? Ma'am. I think they're delicious. Well, never mind. <laughs> oh. Uh, so. What? Do you, do you want to talk about do anything? Do you like awkward silences? talk about the topic? What topic? Divorce? Yeah, that's the one. Like when people aren't married anymore? Yeah. Let's talk about something less controversial, like 
abortion or cancer. <laughs> no. <laughs> so you, let's. Do you Sean, want to talk about anything first? Sean at dinner said he believes everyone should get a divorce. Why do you think that is, Sean? I just think you got to follow your heart. Oh. And you should always do what you feel in your loins. Sounds legit. What makes you happy. Whatever makes you happy, yeah. No, so uh, we want to talk about divorce, and <clears throat> here's an interesting thing, uh, and you guys chime in if I'm not explaining this well. Am I the only one who's not nervous about this topic? Like, this doesn't bother me at all, and yet I felt all the joy leave the room like my dad at my birthday party. Like, yeah, I mean. We keep having these serious podcasts. There's a lot less well, I don't, uh, joking around. But I, if I you divorce are, doesn't scare me. If you just topic. remove your emotions and human spirit and just act like a robot, you don't care if other people are suffering in the room. Right, guys? Yeah. 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 That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. So, I just copy human emotions that people think. So in in our uh in our circle, our circle is a reformed Baptist the Acts 29, uh, heavily platted group of people, right? Yeah. And in our circle, we have these kind of rules, unwritten laws kind of about divorce, I would say. And so we would say, um, biblically speaking, that the only reason that you should get a divorce is because of adultery. Because that was like a verbatim quote from Jesus. But then we would also say, but also, if there's abuse going on, obviously we shouldn't have that. But then <clears throat> at some point we draw the line at, you know, what constitutes abuse? Is it physical, verbal, emotional, spiritual? Um, and occasionally, I think, um, somewhere near our group of, uh, of friends or maybe group of, uh, acquaintances, Somebody, I've, I'm sure, has gotten some really terrible advice that uh, they need to stick it out with somebody who's a kind of a really bad spouse and somebody who's not honoring uh, the marriage. And uh, I think we all, I'm sure, know at least a few people who've left the church because of that situation. Or people who we would say are maybe now not Christians or have decided that they're not a Christian because... You know, somebody told them to stay in a really unhealthy, bad marriage. Or, um, you know, and I know people who the decision to divorce was kind of uh, almost pressed upon them from the church. When if uh, people would have gotten a little more involved in their lives directly, I think there was probably a big opportunity to save the marriage. So it's like there's all angles, but the standards... For divorce and um, when a divorce should take place is kind of ambiguous, I would say. Or maybe uh, maybe there's so much nuance that we don't uh, talk about it in such a black and white fashion because every situation is different or something like that. But I'm curious what you guys think about that. Nando and April, since you guys have the best marriage ever. Yeah, what do you guys think? So, <laughs> divorce. Huh? <laughs> What's up with that? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, that's out there. <laughs> so like you guys have been married for a while. You guys um have probably considered divorce. <laughs> right? I mean, you do every Good lead in. Every <laughs> Not but quite, but <laughs> maybe not with each other, but like have been in situations where uh a divorce has been considered among peers or something like that. Or so, not. Or maybe, 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 they're, maybe they don't hate each other. I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? 
Um, but like, what, what is your, if you, uh, were able to define a biblical reason for divorce or not, how would you put it? Well, I think, um, I don't know. My views have been challenged on this recently because I think if you would have asked me this question a couple of years ago, I probably would have been more along the lines of like, well, yeah, you should only, uh, get divorced in like cases of adultery. Uh, but I've recently kind of, I've been, I've seen some situations where it's not always so black and white. And I've, I mean, I haven't looked into the topic as much as I probably should have, but like, I know like a big reason why Jesus like forbid divorce in the New Testament was in large part to protect women, if I'm not mistaken. Husbands were divorcing their wives for no good reason. And back in the day, I mean, that really like screwed over uh, because if they were married and divorced and like they didn't have jobs back then um, and they were essentially kicked out of their houses. And so like I know one of the reasons like I know like marriage is an institution like that glorifies God and and all that stuff too. But I think a big reason is that Jesus was protecting women from getting wrongfully divorced by them. And so I've just like I've seen situations where in this day and age, like women have been mistreated by men and try to, uh, you know, try to be patient and stick it out, um, for the sake of like not getting divorced and like trying to do what God has called them to do and <clears throat> seeing like there not be changes in the marriage. And so I guess there's like just a fine line, I guess, where like in the, in the whole, in the church's involvement in the situation, like I guess like the church, I know for the most part wants to preserve marriage. And I understand that. Um, and I agree with that. Um, but at what cost, like if, if the woman's soul is being damaged and she's constantly being hurt by someone that isn't loving her and protecting her the way he is called to, or if it's vice versa, if it's a woman mistreating, whatever, um, like what, it, what is the church's role in that? Um, I found myself questioning a bit more like, okay, what are, what are other scenarios where, like divorce is a more realistic option and what is the church's role in like counseling that or caring for the people in those situations like so they're not just preserving a marriage just to preserve a marriage they're actually caring for the souls of the people that are in the marriage um so i don't know i don't have the answers obviously it's just an interesting thought to ponder but what is the church's role i don't know does the church have to approve a divorce yeah, that's a you good think? question. With, like, the church, like, sponsoring a divorce or leading towards a divorce and stuff like that is, like, the church's responsibility isn't just to give good advice. Like, our responsibility is to protect the sanctity of marriage. And, unfortunately, we've turned the sanctity of marriage phrase into something that has to do with homosexuality when that's the tiniest aspect of it the sanctity of marriage has to do with like good marriages healthy marriages people enjoying their marriages and stuff like that and so the sanctity of marriage i feel like can be violated in way more ways than just homosexuality or gay marriage or whatever and so i think unfortunately like uh Oh, because that's the main buzzword that we have in our political sphere in America, sometimes the 
uh, violations of sanctity of marriage go overlooked when it's just something as simple as like, oh, oh, like you guys aren't having sex with each other and you should be because you're married. You know what I mean? Or, oh, you're not uh, showing respect to one another or leading each other to understand the gospel better or know Jesus better or stuff like that. Like that's a violation of the sanctity of marriage. But a lot of times like uh, that goes overlooked because, you know, we're too busy trying to stop the gays from getting married. Which I think is ridiculous. I don't know. I've, like, it's hard. I mean, I know as, like, if you're in that situation, I'd imagine you would want approval. Like, luckily, we're not in that situation. It's just seen and just heard of situations where it's like, man, if I was in that situation, like, I know divorce is wrong, but, like, I don't know if I could, I don't know how, like, our differences could be reconciled, like, on a human level, you know? Um and, you know, just seeing how the church has been involved in some of the situations, it's like, I, I would imagine if you're in that situation, you would want the church to, to, I guess, bless your divorce. But then that's also asking for a lot from the church to do. And I don't know if that's even their role to approve or disapprove. I mean, obviously, the church is probably going to say, try to work it out till the last, till the bitter end, you know, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I can see that. But again, it's like, at what point, at what's the cost? Like, is, is, is doing that really what's best for that person if their spouse isn't loving them the way they're called to love them and treat them? I don't know. It's a tough situation. I guess. Yeah. <clears throat> I, um, just, I'm, I question that too in the sense of, I mean, I've never been in a position where I've felt like I needed to, you know ask for approval of divorce or special counsel or anything like that. But I imagine being a devout Christian and in the church and serving in ministry and stuff, if I was in that situation, I would want um, guidance from, you know, the pastors and my community. And of course, naturally, you would want approval if that's what you felt like you needed to do. Um, but I also see the other side of elders standing before the Lord and answering for the advice that they've given. And so I think there's ways that the church can protect people, souls, without making a decision for them, you know, like saying, reminding them that they're going to also stand before the Lord for their decisions and counsel them the best that they can, but ultimately not tell them one way or the other. Um, because specifically, I feel like Abusive situations are situations that are, and speaking as a woman standpoint, like if I had an extremely abusive husband, um, not just like physically abusive, but emotionally and spiritually um, manipulative and abusive. Um, and I endured that for a certain amount of years and gave my all um, to the point to where I felt that I was like literally terrified that I couldn't even be in the same place as that person. Um, naturally, I would want the protection of the church, right? Like I would, my husband would refuse to protect me. And so, um, and I'm so, say I was in a situation where I was like, I'm so terrified that I feel like I need to get a restraining order 
you know? But if I'm at a point where I'm so scared that I would need to put a restraining order against my husband, should I just stay separated from him for the sake of preserving the marriage and hoping that even after years of trying um, and seeing nothing, no repentance and no real help on the other person's side, like say, you know, it was Nando, like Nando's side, does that mean I stay with him? You know what I'm saying? Um, Even though I'm so terrified that I'd probably need to keep weapons in my home, you know, because I'm afraid he's going to come after me just for the sake of saving a marriage. So I don't know the answer to that, but I'm just saying what, you know, and hoping that God does a miracle. Of course, I believe in God doing miracles, but how long does a person wait in that kind of fear? Um, I think there's also a flip side to that, though, where um, just churches in general can kind of have that view of like, well, if you burn with passion, um then you should get married and people get um, bad discipleship to get married. And then they haven't coming from a, you know, the psychological standpoint, they haven't dealt with any of their past trauma or any of their past stuff. And one spouse does end up becoming very abusive or has a mental illness. And the church doesn't take into consideration the mental illness aspect. And, um, you know, the amount that really goes into someone who has a true mental illness and the health that they need to have in order to be a functioning human and be pursuing their spouse. Um, it's a, it's a lot, you know? And so there's like so many different like scenarios and obviously we can't really just pinpoint it down to one scenario because everybody's situation is different. Like people who have faced divorce or seen divorce or, you know, experienced it themselves. Um, but I think sometimes as Christians, we, we say abuse is bad, but divorce is evil. Hmm. And, um, mental illness is bad. Like not getting help for your mental illness is bad, but divorce is evil. Um, and I mean, you know, I want to be a marriage and family therapist. I want to work with people with mental illnesses. I want to help people overcome. Um, these kinds of problems and it's not easy at all. It's very complex. So I'm not saying it's an easy road for someone to choose health, but I think there needs to be some sort of accountability on whichever spouse, woman, man, if you do have those issues and you're manipulating or abusing your spouse because of it or not respecting them in a way that's causing major issues, like there needs to be some sort of accountability to um, pursue health. And repent. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. And I think that we as the church, a lot of times don't know how to handle those situations because our knowledge is not, is, is not very, um, large when it comes to, especially the psychological side of things and what's actually going on with people. Like it's a lot, seems like a lot more simple in some situations. I think it absolutely is more simple. It's just like, you're both being selfish. You know what I mean? Like you're not pursuing your marriage. You're both being selfish. Um, and you need to, like you said, like reconcile your differences a little bit more, sacrifice a little bit more, have sex more or something like that. But then other times it's something very severe. And I think we can easily look at all situations with the same sequence of like, okay, well, this is how we deal with all scenarios of, you know, people struggling in their marriage and wanting a divorce or really maybe not even wanting a divorce, but feeling like they need to be separated for a while or, you know, whatever that is. So it's like during that time, what is the church's advice for helping someone build up a marriage or 
you know, in standing alongside them? And how long does a person wait? And what are those? I mean, obviously, every scenario is so different. But yeah, you just tell them to believe the gospel more and then ask them <laughs> to leave your office, I believe. Have you right? tried the gospel? Yeah. <laughs> Try gospeling it a little better. <laughs> Seth, you've stayed surprisingly quiet, mostly because of your three divorces and several yeah. illegitimate children out there, probably. Isn't it weird? I've divorced the same woman three times, but I always come back to her. No, I always come back to her. Aww. <laughs> it's really kind of endearing when you think about it. No, I actually uh, was reading about this while we were doing the topic. Um, I think, I don't think in Christianity, I think it's a very secular idea that we give into, and maybe it's because I'm an idealist, but the idea of lesser of two evils. So I go, no, let's do no evil. Because um, I feel like we're having false arguments of saying, well, this is bad, but that's really bad. And well, how about we actually come up with... Can I help you, Mr. Moss? Can I help you? Goodness. This is fifth grade all over. You gotta be in trouble detention, you remember? Double detention. That's what I got. Double secret probation detention. Um, I'll take the example you gave. So, if a family, wife, husband, doesn't matter, approaches me, and we get the facts... And he, uh, it's not adultery, it's not necessarily, you know, anything specific like that. It's just emotional, maybe mental abuse. Um, one of the translations for separate, because the other uh, thing that says you can get divorced for is abandonment, is not necessarily running away, it's to pull away from or to um, just, you know, have this absence, have this divide. Um, and I think of Ezra 10, where he forced them to divorce. He actually said, You're, you've married to non-Christian women. And he forced them to divorce and leave their kids. And I go, oh, it's weird, because the New Testament doesn't say divorce, you know, if they're non-Christian, just divorce them. It says if they abandon you. And this is where people usually do this. And this is where we're kind of hypocrites. We go, well, that's the Old Testament. I'm like, really? Because when you're talking about homosexuality, you go to Old Testament and the New Testament. So you can't just say that, because even if that was a certain context to certain people, it shows there was a time where God thought that was acceptable. There was a certain context where outside of adultery, outside of abandonment, God said, okay. And I don't think you need to take the Bible in the vacuum. You need to go, okay, it has a verse about uh, divorce. God hates divorce. What else does it say? It says, fight oppression and justice in the land. That's the duty of the righteous man. Help the widow and the orphan. It says the summary of the commandments is love God and love your neighbor. We don't take it in a vacuum. We're going, well, the Bible's always books. Here's these two verses. So I'd say this. You can't ask someone to just sit in oppression because if you're a righteous man, you shouldn't stand for that. So I'd look at them and go, okay, so one, we need to give her a way out. If this is really happening and Nevada doesn't give this, you know, legal separation, we as a church need to go, okay, how can we, even if we need to economically provide, take care of you and your family. I once, for a woman who was going through something similar to this, had safety team posted at her house. So we need to offer protection. We need to offer money. We need to offer food. We need to have uh, men and women who can come in and help support that family. Um, the man is going to be divided. He will not be allowed church. He will not be allowed fellowship. If it comes to a point, I might even go to his job and tell his boss. Um, if they need a restraining order, if they need testimonies in court, where I go. And all these were offering repentance for him the whole time. But at one point, my hope is this. If he's really unrepentant, and we've done restraining or I've talked to his boss, we've offered protection, he doesn't want to do it. If he really is this unrepentant fiend who craves, you know, having someone to lord over and have power, because it's almost, I mean, it is a mental thing to like, I can have this abuse of authority over someone and be able to control them and get this affirmation. Or maybe it's a mental issue. The hope is that 
it can be directed to somewhere else where either he's done and the Holy Spirit's been convicting him. We actually prayed for a lady in Tahoe where the guy finally left because he was sick of our corrections, sick of the, and just left her. Um, but I'd, I'd also say this. If for some reason, after months of me talking to his job, restraining order, he's not having sex, he's not with her, which by the way, if at any point he does anything, that's adultery. He somehow was like, no, I'm still good. Because people like that are, it, it almost is like a sociopath or someone who, you know, it's pathological. They crave that. They have to be in control, abusive. It might come from patterns growing up, abusive, but they crave it. Like having power over someone. Sometimes alcoholics do this, of just these cycles. If for some miraculous reason that's still... He goes, yeah, I'm fine not having sex for five years and having any connection with anyone and maybe getting fired. I would at that point start talking about, okay, well, has he abandoned the marriage? Because there's been blatant unrepentance. He's not listening. They're not connected. He doesn't want to change. He doesn't care if he's in community. Is he even a believer? And I would look at, I would meet with the elders of, is there a possibility for divorce? But this is why I think it drives me nuts with the Reform Movement. It's not Father, Son, Holy Bible. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It talks about discernment. It talks about wisdom. Jesus constantly looks at the situation and discerns. Jesus constantly... The woman at the well, he didn't say, Hey, according to a Bible standard, you're a whore. We should beat you to death. He goes, Hey, can you give me some water? Meets her where she is. The woman who's going to get stoned to death, he doesn't go, Hey, according to OT law, we can kill you. He goes, What's really going on here? So I think we need to use discernment and look through it. But I would be very surprised if you have a guy who's narcissistic, abusive, restrained from sex, restrained from community, no friends, maybe losing his job, restraining or can't see his kids, we're physically protecting her that he would totally be like, oh yeah, I'm, I, I think at some point, and I'd even address him, I'd say, hey, you can end this all right now, either repent or leave. Doesn't want to repent? I go, okay, well, you know you know our beliefs. Oh, well, I'm leaving then, I'm out here. Okay. And I would push it, because we did. We had a lady who had an issue with a guy who wasn't physically, but he was emotionally abusive in other ways, they were um, got to get engaged. And we had safety team post at his house, I kicked him out of church two times, um, we had police talk to him at a certain point. He wasn't getting what he wanted his pathological mental problems. Um, and he was a narcissist to be sure. Uh, he left and then tried to find some other woman at church who we had worn that church. So they kicked him out too and called the cops. So I think there's wisdom because the Bible, I mean, literally Solomon would discern things. The elders would meet and discuss things. The elders in Israel, they thought this is the way we do things. And then Paul goes, Hey, what if the Gentiles don't want to do this? And they had to have a whole discussion and meeting. It's weird. If things are so sure, why didn't they say, no, here's the answer? No, they had to have a meeting and pray through it. So I think God hates divorce, but we take the Bible not in a vacuum. Because I could say, oh, look, in this verse, um, Phineas drives a spear through a guy who's married to a non-Israelite. God must think that's cool all the time. No, take the whole Bible. What's the whole story? Like systematic theology, I get we have a system, but biblical theology, which Europe does more, also has narratives and themes. So have your structures, have your themes of like, hey, in general, here's what we view on divorce, but then listen to themes, ideas. What God, what's God's real heart? And why does he hate divorce? What, what is it? Is it the separation? Is it the breaking of a covenant? And, and if he hates divorce, does he hate a woman being destroyed too? So take the whole heart of God, because to me, to be so simple in divorce is to, is the same as people say God is love. Well, yeah, he's also a lot of other things. So let's use wisdom in it. Let's look at the whole counsel of the Bible and look at, I'm sorry, is there a way that at some point pressure and leadership from the church in support of her is enough to out this guy that shows who he is, he reveals himself and finally just goes, yeah, I'm not a Christian, and we can free this person from it. So, I don't know, but there's lots, I have like three other ways we could do that, but that's one of them. You're the other guest. I mean, the other host. You're the co-host. <laughs> yeah. Come on. 
Uh, what do you guys think about uh, butts? Like we no. we have a clear biblical mandate that in the case of adultery, divorce is permitted, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or abandonment, abandonment, or abandonment. Divorce. So, do you think? Uh, like Jesus's standard of adultery applies where he says, uh, he takes things deeper on a spiritual level. And he says, you thought adultery was like, you know, this activity, oh. but actually, uh, I'm saying if you've ever had lust for another person because he in does, your heart, yeah. that's adultery. So do you think that is applicable to divorce in that standard? Because I would think that. If you were to use that as a technicality or a loophole, you could say almost any marriage is um, suitable for divorce. Women, too. Yeah, women, too. what about too? if Absolutely. you emotionally have an affair and... You, or even, I, yeah, yeah with, ab- with abandonment, too, because, like, there's ways that women and men, doesn't matter, wife, husband, like, could manipulate a situation to make it seem like it's on the other spouse... That's abandoning them, but really they're the ones abandoning the marriage. Totally. You know, so they look like they're the ones that's trying to make it work so that they can push out the other person. Yeah. You know, and that, I mean, that happens in a lot of different scenarios, Christian, not Christian, where a person doesn't actually want to be with the other person, Mm -hmm. but they are manipulating the people around them to make it seem like the other person is the one that's actually outing on it, you know? So it could even look like, like, um, the person could even look repentant in a way, like the woman Mm -hmm. or the man could look repentant because of the way they are manipulating everyone around them. But really they're the ones abandoning the spouse from the way they have lived out the marriage. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've seen it in a lot of different situations. Like I said, Christian, not Christian, Um, so yeah, it's like, where do you draw the line with those kinds of things? Like you said, with adultery, what exactly does adultery look like with abandonment? What exactly does abandonment look like, especially when it could be disguised, you know? What do you think, Nando? About the abandonment or? Well, we can talk about that or Tom Selleck's mustache. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think he's got a pretty sweet stash. I, I, well, let me, all right, I'll well, frame it so that you have a structure. You have something, because I know <laughs> Acts 29 yeah. people love systems. So, um, in plaid, he's wearing plaid. The whole reason I think there needs to be discernment is if my son comes up and says, Riker did something bad, what does bad mean? What do you mean? Why do you do that? I wouldn't just go, oh, and go over and smack Riker in the face. I'd go, well, what do you mean? Divorce. I've had people go, well, it's toxic. Okay, maybe it is. What do you mean? Well, he does this. And I listen. I go, oh, so he's obnoxious. Well, that's not enough of a reason to get divorced. So I think we need discernment where you need to listen and treat each person like a person, non-number. With divorce, um, what has kind of been your experience? Like, if you've heard divorce, were they abusing it? When you heard divorce, was it justified? What are some things you've observed in your personal experience with divorce of like, okay, um, what is a way a church could improve? What's the way elders could improve? Because my main thing is this. You see it in the way Calvinists debate sometimes. They enter the argument with the assumption of, I'm right, you're wrong, which doesn't go well. Or if you believe that, it's because you didn't read your Bible. You're an idiot. What if we entered a discussion on divorce of, I need to hear the story. What's the heart of this? What's the real conflict? Because in the midst of that, Satan is doing something. So what is he doing? What's the conflict that we need to see restoration? So I guess the question I'd ask is, 
What's been your experience, even if it's limited, of divorce? Have you seen things the church does well? Have you seen areas they could grow in? Just kind of a general idea of what, maybe that, what's something the church could even grow in with that? So Yeah, I think it, like, I, I agree a lot with what you said about the whole discernment thing, because I, in my limited experience with it, I have seen the church kind of take a stance of like, well, like, God hates divorce, yeah. so let's, let's, let's preserve this marriage first and foremost, before, like, yeah, let's maybe try to gather the facts, but, like, still, let's, let's try to preserve the marriage over everything. Yeah. Um, and so, and I guess that's where this whole conversation came out, was because, um, I, I would like the church to see, like, okay, like, yeah, everything's not, these situations aren't black and white, like, we do need discernment, like, as much as God hates divorce, like, how much does he hate one of his children being mistreated or abused? Yeah. Like, how much worse is that in his eyes? Um, so, um, yeah, I I think I would like to see more of the discernment side, more of, like, the trying harder to gather all the information and, yeah, trying to preserve the marriage. But, again, thinking at, like, at what cost? Like, is this... Is the person that's being mistreated, like, is this going to cost them, like, everything if if the church uh, decides that because they decided to get a divorce, like, they can't be involved in the church anymore? Or, like, mm. I mean, that's like, kind of an extreme example, but... It happens, though, um, you're right. Yeah, like, yeah. I know, like April was saying, like, just, I know it can happen where someone, it, like, they really want the divorce, but they're making it look like the other person is... Yeah. is pushing it and and then the other person that uh you know had been fighting for the the marriage in the beginning and now is at a point where like they can't take it anymore like they lose all their community they mm-hmm. lose their church um because their marriage isn't something like that they can healthily be a part of anymore yeah um so yeah, I guess I I like a lot what you said about uh, the discernment and like your stories about you really like sticking up for the people that were in those tough situations like and protecting them like I think the church needs more of of that like standing up for justice and uh, and being able to see through like cuz that's another thing is like I feel like it's easy for people to like people that are like narcissistic and sociopaths it's easy for them to um like almost a I guess abuse the gospel in yeah. a way where it's like, yeah, it's like, well, yeah, God hates divorce, but I'm going to just continue to do all these other sinful mm-hmm. things and you can't leave me because yeah. God hates divorce. Even though I'm treating you the exact opposite of what God has called me to. Yeah. Like, so how is that right? And yeah. like manipulative people <clears throat> are the best liars. Yeah. Absolutely. So if somebody's going to pick sides. They're not stupid. Yeah. No. It's like usually going to be the manipulator side because they're better at lying, you know, yeah. which is really rough. Let me ask you guys something. I think that white people shouldn't get married. I know that. <laughs> I agree. I've been saying this for years. I know that this is a buzzword, and even in secular circles, it's used as a solution for everything. And so I'm wary of saying it because I don't like people. <laughs> yeah. And you, so. You are so anti establishment. So anti establishment. The fact that this is kind of like a, almost a proven physiological thing bothers me. But 
community is super important and super important in the marriage. And Hillary wrote a book about how it takes a village or whatever. And I'm not talking about that, but I'm saying like Hillary? when you're a Christian, Hillary Clinton. Oh, when you're I was a Christian, like, what ch- what service does she go to? I was trying to think. I'm like, <laughs> when you're a Christian, you are called to be a part of a community. Okay. And at first, when I thought we started saying that, it was just like, we need to make our community groups bigger. And so we're going to say that this is a mandate. But it's so true. Once you really, um, once you really look into how the early church, the first church operated, community is so important. And I think it's super hard, even if you have a manipulative person in a marriage who's a good liar, I think it's super hard in a real community to hide that for very long. And I think a lot of times when uh, the church or the eldership in the church is approached with this potential situation uh, that might end in divorce, I think it's really important that those people are in a community um, so that uh, the elders have some people, some third party to rely on for, uh, you know, research and investigation. Because it, there might be a situation where the elder doesn't even know this couple, you know? Yeah. There's churches, you yeah, know, maybe it's everybody. unfortunate, That's but fair. there's churches That's that fair. are big yeah. enough where an elder is going to say, well, you know, let's just uh, spend eight months getting to know each other really well. And let me put off all my other duties so that I can get to know you well enough to make a make a good decision on this, you know. So I think the community aspect is really important. So I would imagine um, in many situations. I can only imagine. Continue. I can only imagine that manipulative in that situation where there's a very manipulative or abusive or controlling individual in the marriage that they're trying to avoid community at all costs for that reason. And so when people aren't in a community, there's something there's something there. There's some reason for that. And I think that's something worth investigating. And I think maybe I should just put my biases out on the table. Put them on the table. Let all, when let it all comes, hang out, when it, when it comes to divorce, um, I, 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 it frustrates me because something happened where before I was even a Christian, or no, it wasn't before I was a Christian, but it was when I was a young, impressionable uh, Christian who didn't really have very solid theology and didn't understand the Bible. Was it when I yelled at you on 6th Street? No, it was a different time. Okay. Um, I'm not sorry. There was a church in town, and they had like a three-year period where everybody got divorced. Like every couple that was there got divorced. And there was like a large group of women and they all got together on the weekends, talked about their husbands and all ended up getting divorced. And it was, it was, uh, approved by the church. And some of those may have been legit. Some of them may have not been legit. I know at least two that I don't think were legit and were, were, uh, situations where I think reconciliation could have been easily had if the church would have gotten a little more involved in people's lives personally and didn't allow people to maintain that buffer zone of, of uh, like uh, isolation. And it's, that super frustrates me. And so I feel like, and this is probably what I have against women too, because we all know I have this weird thing <sighs> where I, I, ever since I was about, 12 years old have, have nine years really old. nine years old have really held a lot 
a lot of uh, resentment towards women. Are you in okay, general. April? She she started violently tapping her cup. Yeah. Oh, you no, said I'm you good. hate women. April's cool. We've talked about it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that situation was like the realization of my worst stereotype. Like, and it was so frustrating to me. And so, like, when it come when I hear about divorces, my my initial reaction is that's not legit. You know, they should just stick it out because that you know there's probably just like a lot of gossiping and stuff happening resulting in that and blah 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 blah. So that's my biases that uh, I just wanted to lay out on the table. But I know there's obviously legitimate reasons for divorce. And I know that there's a lot of situations where, uh, like ones that Seth has even talked about, where, like, the church needs to get behind protecting somebody and protecting people. But I'm just going to say that, like, that's never my initial reaction when I hear about it. That's my bias, unfortunately. I think I'm trying to work out outside of that. April. Um, yeah, I think that... Shoot, I lost my train of thought. But um, I think that... It just, like, as we go back, it just depends on the scenario. Because I would say that you're right in a lot of situations, uh, especially with the community thing. Um, except I've seen, and honestly, I could think of a handful of scenarios where people that I know who are divorced now, one of the spouses were not in community the majority of the marriage. But then as soon as start stuff started going south and the person who was in community decided they thought that they needed some, um, needed to leave the situation because the person had been unrepentant and out of community for so long or whatever it is, or looking somewhere else or whatever the situation is, um, that person starts to come back to community and try to like act like they're not. Yeah. And try to get the community all involved. Uh, And, um, that's a good point. And I mean, I could literally think of at least four scenario, three or four scenarios right now off the top of my head from what I've seen in churches where that was the case. Um, and so, but and and where maybe the, the church didn't know the spouse well enough because they weren't around enough. Do you and think it's they like, were able to maintain that? No. Okay. I think that they see it. Okay. I think that eventually, it, especially with mental illness, if it is a mental, it's not all the scenarios I'm thinking of are not mental illness situations at all, but some of them are that you can't hide that very long yeah, at yeah. all. Like it's pretty obvious. You're like, Oh man. I mean, even for someone who doesn't have any knowledge of that, it's like, Oh, something's not right. But I'll also say as a woman, again, I'll say that I'm not a feminist at all and I'm a complementarian, but, um, I do think that tip, there has been a history of, um, in certain church circles where, um, women have kind of been looked at to just be over emotional about something and they're not taken seriously for the abuse that's actually happening to them. Um, mm. and I actually remember you like in premarital counseling, when you told Nando, like you need to pursue your wife to no end. And at any moment, if she doesn't feel pursued, she can come and approach us at the church and we can call you out. Like that's how important it is to pursue your wife. Yeah. Um, there have been a lot of scenarios where I feel like, and this is church history. This isn't any specific church. Um, women are just kind of looked at as like, oh, well, they're just being emotional and they just need to kind of suck it up when really it's like a lack of pursuit on the man's side. And it could be a lack of pursuit on her side too, you know, cause she's hardened her heart in certain areas and that's not okay. Or she hasn't respected him. 
which is huge. And that's not okay. Um, but I think that sometimes it kind of get abuse can get sloughed off because it's like, oh, they're just being emotional. Yeah, totally. You know, um, and it's kind of like, yeah, maybe they are being emotional in some situations for, or too emotional. Cause I'll speak for myself. Like I'm a woman and I can certainly be overly emotional and I'll admit to that and come back later and me and Nando will be laughing about it. Like, you know, that's a real thing, but also their feelings are still valid. You yeah, know? totally. And they need to be addressed, you know? Yeah. And I, I believe like, as a man, your responsibility is re- is to regard women with utmost care like a fragile vessel. And so I think an emotional reaction, even if it's super emotional, is still a reaction that's that's almost a warning, if not a plea, that you're not handling that fragile vessel with the care that it deserves. And so, yeah, I definitely think that's true. And as a matter of fact, I think the benefit of the doubt sometimes should go to the emotional female simply because we're told to regard them as the more fragile vessel. And I think that's, uh, I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think that, um, and I don't want to, I don't want anybody to mishear what I was trying to say. I think that I have those biases (laughs) and I was laying those out on the table, but, um, I do feel like in those situations where I thought, there was no accountability when a group of women were getting together and gossiping about their husbands. Yeah. Um, I'm not blaming the women for those divorces. I'm blaming the church for not um, researching and getting involved in those situations. Yeah, I heard you in that yeah. one for sure. Yeah. yeah. I didn't hear that at all. I, I heard Seth a judgmental <laughs> fool of a two. Let me say this. All right. This is it. Let me give you the brass taxes. Um I obviously am not from that church, but I do believe as an elder, as a pastor, and I'm supposed to be a representative, I'm supposed to be an ambassador, and the church is an embassy. I am sorry that we failed you, because you were failed, Sean. And having grown up with you, that wasn't okay, and I'm sorry that that wasn't better led. And I would say that to anyone, um, knowing your story, any uh, women or men out there, um, for the church failing you. I don't see it as a separate thing of, well, that's that church... Um, I mean, if the church is unorthodox or heretical, that's one thing. But I, I see the church as universal. So when someone says this happened in China, I don't go, oh, well, that's China. We got our stuff together here. I go, I'm sorry. Because I'm, I'm a minister. I'm going to one day have to look him in the eye, and it will be beautiful seeing my Savior. But I care less about numbers and more about, all right, I'm called a shepherd. Did I shepherd? So that wasn't okay, and you were failed. And I know in your life that had implications. I'm sorry for that. Um, and anyone else that's dealt with that. And I don't say it's out of guilt. I say it out of fact. Um, if you're a shepherd, there should be no problem with you taking ownership and repenting. And there was times in the Old Testament where Joshua is falling on the ground repenting for things that he didn't necessarily do, but he understood this collective attitude of, I'm part of Israel. That's the part of the people I'm part of. Like, the, these are, you know, he was repenting for stuff generations before were so idolatrous. We're so, because we only think as individuals in America, not collectivists. Well, we're, part of a community. Like, I'm not just a pastor in a vacuum. You guys aren't just Christians in a vacuum. We're part of a universal church that if you really trace it back, it's been part of a redemptive people for thousands of years. So in that moment, and I know this is discussions we've had where we've wept over this, you were failed by a church, and I'm sorry for that. And anyone else, because um, I, I have heard stories where the church should be the one where you find the defenders, you find the protectors of widows and orphans, and sadly, um, that's not what we see. 
Um, I, I've trying to raise my son where the reason I invite certain people over to my house who have differing views and differing opinions, I want him to think that when he grows up, when he thinks of men like the real men are at church. And that even, you know, it, wisdom is usually in the female tense in the Bible. It's seen as, you know, feminine is wise. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's business. You know, it's not just I'm baking. I want him to see the best, most brilliant, talented women are at church. I'm trying to so, but that's not going to happen if we just ignore the past, ignore that we have failed. Um, and that's not our shame or guilt, but it's our responsibility. If you are a leader, a good leader is able to say, I failed. And they don't mope and, you know, in self-pity, they get back up and you charge forward and they lead people in that. They don't command them. They inspire them to lead, you know, to charge with them into that. So that's it. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. And I also think that knowing you... If you are in that situation today as a pastor where you have this authority, you would you would call even another church out for it. Oh, and you would say, in a harpy, I have. Yeah, you would say that's not appropriate. No. And I don't know everything that was going on back then because, you know, I was 10 or 12 or 16 years old. So I don't know what was happening. But like the, you know, I wish there was somebody to do that, Yeah, to call them out back then. So I appreciate it. I think we all learned a lesson here, gang. I think yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> it's that Jerry Falwell does not support us or give us endorsements or any money, even though I helped his campaign. <laughs> you know what? I wanted to say something else <laughs> about divorce. <laughs> what else? Um, I do think, though, I so in the situation where somebody says I'm in a, in a terribly abusive situation and I need to get out. I would hope the church would do the right thing, experiencing all of the life that they can with those people, investigating all they can with the community and those people. And maybe call the cops. And, yeah, do the right thing to keep people Mandated safe. reporters, people. Don't forget that. You are state-mandated reporters. And I've known a lot of women. This was a situation that was drove me crazy and drove my opinions down. But I've known a lot of women who always go back after getting beat. Always go back after the husband does something terrible or commits adultery and stuff like that. And, uh, that, I, I hate that. That drives me more crazy than anything. But, um, I would, I could even see a potential scenario where this couple needs to be separated and neither of them want to. The wife wants to go back. Absolutely. And the, Absolutely. and the husband wants to maintain control. And I think that's a situation where the church has to, and this would be a terribly Well, if they're both situation. abusive, well, if they've both yeah. been abusive to the kids. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The church would have to get involved in this. It's a, it's absolutely mandatory. Which, by the way, not calling CPS, that's not holy. I, I don't get these cover-ups at these churches, why they think that's biblical. Like, the whole idea of, they find abuse and they go, well, there's grace. That doesn't mean you support injustice. I don't know why they think that's great. Like, you can desire that they'll be forgiven one day. You still call cops and you are a mandate. Absolutely. That drives me nuts of, no, if a kid's abused, you call them. It's not... I, I so much, I have to fight judgment against these pastors that I have this sneaking suspicion. It wasn't about, oh, this is holy and more about you didn't want the church to look bad and you didn't want to be uncomfortable. Totally. You call <sighs> Jesus still. Love does not preclude justice. It is so nuts to me. It still says to follow the laws of land, to obey the laws of land. Like, love and justice are not enemies. You can desire someone to be forgiven and say, I hope this gets restored, and still call the cops. And there's nothing godly 
about just letting evil happen. There's nothing godly about that. There's nothing in the Bible that says letting the oppressed keep being oppressed is somehow this noble pursuit. And if Jesus, one of the most loving people in the world, comes into a temple and whips people, and you can't make a freaking phone call, that does make me angry. They are children. If you think of it, children, they're used as an example for the new heaven, new earth. They're used as an example for coming to faith. They're the people who love Jesus the most. There, there's so many examples with children. And yet you go, you know what the noble thing is? Deal with it in a house and, you know, just good intentions. It's funny how people are Calvinists until they have to report to CPS and suddenly they're new age. It's just assume the best. What a load of garbage. You, no, you, you are called to still do that. If, if, I mean, would you, if someone gets shot, murdered, would you say, well, we should deal with this in house. Don't call police. Do you, this so is, ridiculous. uh, I only bring this up because I hate authority. <laughs> you do. But do you Bless remember you. this situation, Seth? Bless, Bless you. you. Uh, something like that happens where a lady in a relationship says, um, <coughs> I'm being abused and I'm scared and yeah. I just want to get me and my child out. And we say, okay, we're going to call the cops. She goes, my abuser is a cop. <laughs> Do you remember that? Uh, What's the church's responsibility? You we get, no, you, maybe we get in the middle of that, right? Oh, absolutely. We do we not, we cannot leave it at just say, well, you know, call a different cop or I, something like that. I would go further than that. Absolutely. I would say, all right, so one, we have police in the church. Secondly, you can contact the mayor. Secondly, you can contact the chief. You can go above them. Um, I, I would be willing to, if they say, we're going to come arrest you if you don't turn over my wife to you, I'd say, then you're going to arrest me. And we should be willing to die for her. Absolutely. So, I, I'm willing, if, if you go, well, you might have to fight them and you get shot. Oh, I'm willing to crack someone in the face if they're doing that. If, if it's, and this is a possibility, if you, cause there have been, look. We have obviously friends. I know people who are police who are honorable people because people think unless I worship them, I hate them. But if a cop gets caught with child porn, which has happened, no, then I go above you and, and I am willing to obeying the law. We obey it to the point until it asks us to sin and sin would be not honoring God, not honoring what he does, not loving our neighbor, not loving God. It, it would be, we sometimes, all right, let's bring it back to divorce. It says God hates divorce. Are you saying that is the pinnacle of the Bible, that all the Bible is about is God hanging divorce? No. So you have to look at in this situation when you have conflicting things of, well, it says obey the law of the land. Okay. Up to the point, though, when the law of the land asks you sin, no. And what would be sin? It would be disobedience to God. It would be loving what God hates. It would be hating what he loves. It would be not fighting for those he fights for. And it says it's the duty of the righteous man to oppose oppression and justice in the land. It talks about immigrants, refugees, widows, orphans, everyone. If a cop is doing that, then yeah, that is a point where I go, no, I will go against the law because the law has failed. And you have shown yourself to be a disobedient, sinful leader that God has put in authority. And there is a time to stand up. There is a time you have to pose it. And fine, I go to jail or I get shot. And that's how it goes. Death isn't death isn't the worst thing in the world. There are worse things than death. So mm. That's why we need the anger doxers. I, you always... No, the Anabaptists, those guys had nothing. They didn't even have tattoos. Anger doxers, yeah. They didn't even have tattoos or guns. Did they even guns. smoke? Doubt it. Not They're on my watch. <laughs> Don't tread on me. What's your final thoughts? Divorce. What are you going to tell people... We've talked about a lot of hypothetical situations, but what are you going to tell people when they say, I want a divorce because I am unhappy in my marriage? Well, to be honest, I don't, even my 
Like people <laughs> I've known that have been in abusive marriages, I never say, I've never said you have grounds for divorce. Like I just never speak that. Uh, or even adultery, adultery, adulterous marriages, like I give them advice, like, you know, you need to stay safe or, you, you know, those types of things. But I never say, like, you should do this, you know, or that, um, because I don't want to take the voice of the Lord, um, except for obviously encouraging their safety and things like that. But that's much different than saying you should get divorced or you shouldn't get divorced. Well, I have said you shouldn't get divorced, oh, but... Really? <laughs> Yeah. She was, it was to Nando. She said, Yeah, it was to Nando. <laughs> listen, listen. To um, her. Think it through. No, I actually have act- said to a friend before that committed adultery on their spouse, You, this person wants to fight for the marriage. You need to stay and mm, you need to yeah. fight for that. Um, and as your sister in Christ, I will not stand for that. Um, but I've never actually said the words in a scenario where I thought that maybe the person should get divorced. I've never said that they should. I just try to, and I think that's my own conscience of like, I don't want to, I feel that heaviness too, of like, I'm going to stand before the Lord for the things that I've said. Good discernment. Um, and so just, just you know, trying to love them well and advise them well to, to stay safe and to be seeking the Lord and those kinds of things. So honestly, to get that was a big tangent, but to get back to your original question, what would I say to a person now that we've talked about this, if they wanted to get divorced just because they were unhappy? Yeah. Well, that's Well, that's easy. what they tell you. Yeah. Put on your bootstraps and suck it up, <laughs> buttercup. And just because you know? <laughs> divorce is permitted doesn't mean that's the best. We have had couples, not abusive, but who there was adultery. And now eight years later, they actually go, my marriage is better than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. So, I've seen that too. So it's, yeah. it's permitted. It doesn't mean I go, oh yeah, you got to ditch that loser. Like mm-hmm. you got, but I get it. It is. I don't think we can take away the humanity of in adultery, even though it can be redeemed. That hurts. Yeah. That is to the core of your soul. And it's betrayal. Don't downplay it. Don't go, well, you know, we all sin to get... No. I have frustrated my wife and sometimes, like, had arguments with her and been critical. But I didn't go have sex with someone else. So don't downplay of, like, no, that is a betrayal. Peter irritated Jesus, like, with dumb things. But when Teeter... Peter, Teeter, <laughs> good old Teeter, Teeter Jones. Teeter I was thinking of Tucker Carlson with his bow tie. Um, ah! <laughs> but think of this. But when Peter three times publicly said, this is not my boy, I don't know him. That's another level of you literally, it was as if I was dead. You said, no, he's, he's nothing to me. Mm-hmm. We can't downplay that stuff because I think we're so quick to go, well, here's a problem that we need to solve. It's an issue I need to fix as a pastor. No, it's a person who you need to walk them through this season of suffering. It's it's something to be walked through, not not some mathematical problem to solve. So I would. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, and with that, like trust is broken, and so, um, and that can even happen in very abusive situations where you know someone's been mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically abused, whatever scenario, um, to where they just don't trust the person anymore, and they've tried over and over and over and over again to gain that trust, but the other person doesn't change the behaviors. Um, what, you know, I, you can't really have a marriage without trust. So after a while, 
especially with the adultery thing, even if you're fighting for your marriage to like try to gain that trust back and have restoration, eventually that has to be addressed that you don't trust that person if that trust isn't being restored. But I have seen scenarios where, I mean, I can't even believe the restoration that's happened with, you know, adulterous marriages that in the trust that's been built. So I do believe God's all powerful, obviously in full control, and it's possible for that trust to be restored, but that has to be with both parties working hard, very hard, whatever the scenario, both parties have to be working very hard and fighting very hard for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I wanted to say like, kind of along the same lines i've seen a marriage where it was awful abuse man abusing his wife and they separated and she didn't want to get a divorce and even the church recommended that she get a divorce but she stayed separated from him stayed separated from him and then he became a christian like 10 years mm-hmm. after separation and she was able to regain trust and they have an excellent marriage now Jeez, but he so was crazy. transformed by mm-hmm. jesus by the holy spirit and like that is a possibility um but i think with every situation with every marriage that comes within our midst we we should it's not fair to compare that to this hypothetical or this situation we've seen in the past Every marriage is its own thing, and we have, as Christians and as members of community or pastors or deacons or whatever, we do have a responsibility to look and see what's going on in that marriage, not Mm -hmm. compared to other marriages, not compared to success stories or failure stories we've seen or our biases. We need to step aside from all of that that's in all of the presuppositions that are informing us and see what's going on in this marriage. And... Trust that the Holy Spirit will give us discernment and then discernment to to do the right thing and decide. Nando, how long have you had a mustache? (laughs) 20 days? Almost, yeah. 20 days. Have you noticed anything different about your life? It's more awesome. Yeah? More (laughs) kick-ass? Yeah. In what ways? Just looking cooler. Do people look at you differently? (laughs) A little bit. It kind of goes like... It kind of sucks because April is probably the least fan of it, but then I have, like, people at work or, like, other people just be like, that mustache is awesome. I'm like, thank you. But not everyone. Is. I love it when people don't like it. Yeah. I When I've had a mustache, I don't right now, but I did for the entire month of March. People will come up and they'll be like, what? Why do you have that? I'm right here. <laughs> like, Seth. They go, why are you doing that? And I go... I just want to. And Your you can't do anything about it. The most awesome. Can you grow a beard, Nando? Thank no. you. You kind of have a beard. No. What'd you shave off to get the mustache? Just a, like a goatee. Yeah, that's. No, but I don't, I don't have like the like the sideburn. Have you considered implants? Not yet. I'll give myself some. <laughs> I feel like that's a. You know who else didn't have a beard shot? Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, I will I, go I, to the most extreme. And <laughs> pull. <laughs> Kind of like the police been... officer mustache. That's why I don't like it. Not that I don't like police officers, but just saying, it's kind of that like scary, like molestache type of deal. <laughs> uh, well, here's the thing, though. Nando is just taking 30 days, right, to say I don't need anybody else's validation. I'm my own man. I don't need. <laughs> I don't need people to appreciate how, many days how I look. Has it been? Like 18. That's a long road, my friend. But I. I also <laughs> lost a. Bet. <laughs> okay. But yeah. yes, what Sean said. The bet led you to it. Yes. But now that you've done it, can no. you see why it would be beneficial to once a year 
The same as like lenting, right? Yeah. It's the same <laughs> as lenting, except physically. Yeah. Why do Why oh. do you do it every year, Sean? Uh, mustache. Yeah. March. Yeah. Uh, because somebody <coughs> came out to me one day and said, "Hey, are you going to do the Movember where you grow a mustache for November?" And I was like, "What? Why is that a thing?" And they go, "Oh, it's <coughs> to raise money for." testicular cancer awareness or something like that. And I go, oh, I'm not going to do it because it's for a cause. But I do do Mustache March. And they're like, what's that? I go, nothing. It's for nothing. I believe in nothing. And they go, that seems awfully aggressive. Why are you doing that? And I go, exactly. Because you're on a registry. And then I started doing it ever since. But honestly, I do notice. I know when I grow a mustache, I just look just terrible. Pitiful. Now you look Slightly homeless. And I know that whenever I go to pick my son up at the elementary school, people are all eyeing yeah, me suspiciously. But it does help me to distance myself between other people's opinion. You know what I mean? I'm spending so much time I feel time like your opinion like distances yourself from other people's opinion because your opinions are very well, that too. forward. You're blatant. You're blunt. But still... Physically, I'm trying to make everybody like me, but the mustache makes a big difference. And I just, I honestly, I do love it when people are like, they like look at me and they're trying not to be mean. They go, why Why are you doing that? <laughs> and I like having no answer for them. It, I enjoy that quite a bit. Then next year, I'm going to join you. Mustache March. March. And I'm going to try to do the curl. Like oh, you know. yeah. Sauron. I'm like, no, no beard. Gimli, beard. Mm, Gandalf, beard. Hitler, no beard. <laughs> What's are your final mustaches thoughts? terrible or are they awful? Uh, I don't love them, but I'll deal with it. Mm. If Nando likes it, then that's okay. Well, nothing to divorce over. If no, my, certainly nothing to divorce over and certainly nothing to cause a fight over. If there. my wife doesn't grow out her beard again, there's going to be some <laughs> issues. There will be some problems. She's like, mustache, mom. No. No. <laughs> Away from me. Full beard. You <laughs> sinful less. woman. She can go. It's a pretty cool beard. Just saying. She'll like rub it on my head on oh my birthday. My like, there, there, little child. There, there. <laughs> like the greatest showman lady or whatever with the big beard. Oh. Yeah, that was her. I haven't seen it. <laughs> she was in that movie. She's much more beautiful than I was in lady. American History X. <laughs> I'm every extra ever in that whole movie. It's true. Or every villain in a movie that tells you white supremacy is bad. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Have you seen Acta Like Valor? It's like actual Navy SEALs in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the bad guy looks like me. Yeah, he does. How refreshing. A white guy who murders people based on their race. That's great. So anyway, <laughs> I'm going to be preaching in a month. But uh, yeah. Nando, final thoughts. Uh, you like mustaches. We get it. Yes, that's it. Seth, no. final thoughts. I've given all the thoughts I have for a mustache <laughs> apologist. <such> as you. <laughs> no, well, it, this was a... Actually, I thought it was a really good discussion. And it was refreshing to hear your guys' perspective. Issues that are a little bit sticky. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I guess I'm encouraged that we can still have the view of like, hey, let's gather the facts. Let's not, I mean, yes, let's obviously take what scripture has to say seriously, but let's, let's try to apply it in a, like a real life manner Amen. and not just, a, just whatever it says blindly, uh, just like apply, try to apply it to situations where it's not the most appropriate in that 
situation. Um, yeah, thanks, so. thanks for coming on the show, guys, because um, we do have tens of listeners. Um, <laughs> and uh, I like to think we all learned something. Joe Rogan, lose my number. <laughs> coming for you. Do you want me to do a final stuff? Kurt I was going to add my final thoughts. <sighs> let's no, hear I'm just it. joking. No, let's hear it. No, I don't have any. Uh, <laughs> just a are... bother stuff. So, this has been Tales from the Ditch. Send an email to talesfromtheditch at gmail.com and subscribe and sponsor us. Send us beers and tacos. Player FM, Spotify, Shout Engine. And if you have a legitimate question, I say legitimate, um, for our guests, we had Nando and April on. Uh, emails, legitimate. We will answer. It's crazy. We have, Despite everything going on in our lives, Sean actually is good about replying. I usually don't, or I say something snarky. But um, So, zip it up. Zip it out. Zip it out.